Procrastinating, a term most often used by the millennial generation, is a method of putting something off, delaying, or postponing something by taking part in the act of baking. Welcome to Procrastibaking, a place to talk about our baking obsessions and avoid doing everything else. Coming to you from Southern California, I'm Louisa. And from Eastern North Carolina, I'm Rachel. Hello, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Happy spooky season. <laughs> I was thinking about that before we recorded. I'm like, this is your <laughs> like prime baking time. <laughs> I was talking to Raul about this yesterday. Um, I guess we just have done Halloween so intensely for so many years now that I feel like sometimes we're the annoying Halloween people you know <laughs> like people will come to us and say oh you you're probably gonna do this event or that event and we're like yeah we've done that event we've done it in the past like it's a family tradition and this year we're gonna do this event and that event and then I was like we just need to make sure that we're cool about it like let's express our enjoyment of Halloween but we don't want to be obnoxious about it there's like a sweet space in there so that is our goal because we do get kind of carried away with events and Raul really wants to have a Halloween birthday party this year which I know I told you I think could be fun yeah. but I just don't know that's if like I'm... your family tradition too I think I know it is fun it's just every year we get into a tizzy like do we have time to do this and then we always over provide food it's uh <laughs> I don't know, but it's just like a Hispanic cultural thing. I'm always like, that's enough food, but we need more just in case like 10 surprise guests <laughs> show up. I know. I do the same thing. I'm guilty of that too. Yeah. See, because I think like Southern culture is the same, right? You don't want people to Yes. Go. My you grandmother would like have enough food to feed an army, even though there was like going to be like six of us or something. Yeah. Yeah. But speaking of Halloween, we made our first Halloween themed bake yesterday. I made it with Claudia. And you had sent me that email from Handle the Heat? Yes. You have to submit your photos for her challenge. I did. I did it today. So she had a recipe for those Halloween monster cookies with the dark cocoa powder and like the Halloween colored M&Ms and the little monster eyes, like the candy eyes. And so I had Claudia help me make those yesterday. Claudia mostly ate the candy eyes like that was her <laughs> that was her biggest contribution but it was cute she was really excited about him and she did have a fun time like putting the the eyes into the cookie though um she thought that was super cool so I like the way they turned out they're very rich like I couldn't even finish a whole cookie um, they look are they like dark chocolate yeah I used the dark this time I actually had never used the dark chocolate which I guess I could have done back when we made the Matilda cakes. Mm, that yeah. would have been, I think you used dark chocolate, but I ended yes. up just using my my Dutch cocoa that I had there. But yeah, I like the way it looks. I like how how drastic the color contrast is. So Yes, they yeah. turned out fantastic. Thanks. They were, they were really fun. Um, I also had a baking fail, though, that I wanted to tell uh -oh. you about. So last week, no, two weeks ago, I don't even know. A couple weeks ago, I went to visit my friend Eve, who lives in Arizona, um, and she 
wanted to try to make mooncakes. Well, she had already mm-hmm. made them successfully. So I got to get her props because when she was alone, they turned out really well. But then when I showed up, I was like, you know what? I would love to make mooncakes because I've never, I've never tried making them, but they look so beautiful. Um, Just like the design on top. And it turns out that there's, she had like a collection of these, I don't know what they're called. I guess like mooncake molds that have like these really beautiful, intricate designs on top to stamp. The designs are so cool. They're so cool. Um, And so she was like, oh, we'll try to make them. And so we did. But with my involvement, I like messed them up. (laughs) So I think the key here is that Eve needs to just make them on her own. And then she needs to give me some so that I can enjoy in that way. So we made like the traditional kind, which were like the darker, like the, the brown colored with the red bean paste inside. And I forget the second flavor. I want to say it was, I don't know if it was taro or if it was something else. I don't think it was taro. I think it was lotus paste. Um, And then a couple of them we put in like duck eggs, salted duck eggs, which I thought was cool. Oh. And then we also made, they were called like snow skin moon cakes. And they were just very, I don't even know how to describe it. It was almost like... um, it was like rice flour based. And so they were just like a lighter. Okay. Yeah. And then so we did, we used like strawberry powder for half of the dough. Um, so some of them had like a light pink color to them. And then those were filled with custard. Those were cool. But the first, the traditional set, I messed up because we left them in the oven for too long. Although she did text me later and she was like, they actually taste pretty good, even though they're a little browner. <laughs> and the egg wash was too thick. Like I didn't remember to thin it out it was just egg yolk which was too much so they just looked a little eggy on top but for her those were okay the ones that were kind of a disaster were the other ones the snow skin ones because I didn't cook the custard enough and I don't know like the dough everything was just too soft so you couldn't even stamp them with the mooncake stamp they were just like little blobs but those tasted good they tasted fine I don't like use custard enough to know that there's a difference between like the custard so was, was it a good too thin. It yeah, it was too soft for something like that, but it would be perfect for like piping a donut. But for the context of the moon cake, it mm. needed to be like much more firm. But now I know. Maybe <laughs> in the future I'll try again. It was fun. Like I think it's just so visually beautiful that that would make me convince me to try again but we'll see yeah they've been having kind of a moment I've seen a lot of things in magazines or like on Instagram I think people really like the designs of mooncakes yeah yeah and I guess it's like I think it's called the mid-autumn festival so that's earlier this month so probably why they're super trendy online right now um so what are you been up to well, I wanted to tell you my latest um, kitchen klutzes story. Oh, go so ahead. So we were, <laughs> Alice and I were baking for this episode and um, she always helps me get the ingredients out. I tell her like what we need and she goes and grabs it. I was like, we need five eggs. And <laughs> I keep a bowl of hard boiled eggs in the fridge, like for snacks and breakfast, like you can just grab them and go. And um she must have pulled them out of there because the very first egg I cracked <laughs> was solid. It was hard boiled. <laughs> um, 
So at this point, she had disappeared to go do something. So I just like scooped them all back in the bowl and got fresh eggs out of the carton and baked. And then we slowly ate down the hard-boiled eggs the rest of the week. And then today I'm like, oh, there's one left. I'll take it and eat my breakfast at work today because I was kind of running behind. So I get to work and I'm like, I'll settle in. I'm like, crack my egg. Chink. It's a raw egg. <laughs> oh, no. So I guess we only had four hard-boiled eggs and she'd gotten one from the carton. Um, <laughs> not realizing that there was a difference between the two kinds of eggs. <laughs> you don't want to be like, Gaston from Beauty and the Beast just like chugging those raw eggs right. for protein and strength. Yeah, I couldn't do it. That's so then I'm like standing there holding this egg in my hand in the office. <laughs> I'm like, ah. Uh. <laughs> so eventually it clicked that I should just throw it in the trash can and wash my hands. But it took me a minute. I was just kind of stunned. Classic egg mix up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe like, I feel like we haven't had many mishaps but as soon as it turned to fall it's all these things start happening (laughs) maybe it's just that time of year I don't know it's because you're a summer girl so everything works well for you in the summer but then that's right now it's falling I'm permanently exhausted it's (laughs) dark all the time (laughs) I like that it's dark all the time (laughs) Mike does too Yeah, I like, you know, what's weird. I also like it when it's dark in the apartment. And I think Raul worries about me sometimes because he'll come back from something <laughs> and I'll have all the blinds closed. And he's like, listen, natural light is good for everyone, including you. So let's open <laughs> one of these up. I don't know what it is, though. I think I'm just meant to live in, like, sometimes I picture, you know, in the future, I could see myself living, like, in a really cloudy place, like Seattle or something. <laughs> Seattle. I don't know exactly Seattle, but, you know, like, close to the sea where it's kind of chilly all the time and it's kind of gloomy all the time and I'm like, I like think I could be happy there beginning of some kind of mystery book <laughs> there was a lady yeah. who lived in a land that was chilly all the time and cloudy all the time <laughs> that's who I want to be I want to be like that old woman I'm just sitting on my porch with my coffee like being grumpy and snoopy and I stumble across a crime <laughs> that I need to solve because I'm like retired and I have nothing to do that's what I picture. So we'll see what the future has in store for me in like 40 years or who knows. Well, we'll probably talk about more baking fails as this episode goes on, won't we? <laughs> yes, we will. <laughs> I have some more. Baking with kids is a beautiful opportunity to make memories with some unexpected twists and turns thrown into the mix. This season, we are exploring different aspects of baking with kids and invited a panel of speakers that have varying professional and personal experiences with baking with children. In this episode, they share their thoughts on the educational benefits of baking with kids. Uh, Janan, if you'll start, um, what skills can toddlers learn by baking with you? There are so many skills. I'll try to break it down into a few different areas. I'm sure everyone will expand. So I'll I'll start basically and say the first area I think about, especially with toddlers, is the idea of physical development. So the motor skills a child can learn in these natural actions of mixing and blending and helping in the kitchen. 
the pouring, that hand-eye coordination and dexterity that you can involve your children with. And it can be messy, it can be scary, but that goes in coordination with the confidence that you can instill in a child. It may not be perfect in the beginning and just encouraging that child and being that safety net, that's really important. The next beautiful skill and set of skills that it teaches is communication. So many things that you can talk about, communication while you're doing it and the terms you're learning and talking about mathematic terms from something that's light and heavy, more or less. You can talk about descriptive things such as the texture or the color. Toddlers can really gain a lot from that. Of course, math, you're counting, measuring, density, math, a lot of these things that just children are learning by doing. And as you're really having these communications, you're instilling early reading skills, the comprehension, and that real beautiful part of following a sequence, following directions, cause and effect, what happens when you have a series of steps and you can create something. So that's where I'll start and I'll let others share. So I also think there's a level of organization that can happen. And in a Montessori environment in the classroom, we set out the trays, we call them works, we set out the trays and we put everything in order of use from left to right, top to bottom. And so it indirectly prepares for reading. It indirectly prepares for so many things. And like we were saying, fine motor skills, large motor skills, um, but it's that organization of the mind. And I think people forget that, you know, people think like, oh, we're throwing some stuff in a bowl and we're mixing it up. And, but there is so much, so much involved in baking. It's science, it's math, it's organization of the mind, it's reading. I know I've had students before historically who um, struggled with reading. And so we would have them read the recipe, right? So there's so many indirect things that learning to bake can bring. But I think it's that organization. You know, what does it look like? I remember I was in 4-H too. And I remember um, being taught, okay, when you use this, put this here, have this extra towel here, do this. And I find I still utilize these skills to this day. So the skills that I was taught as a young, young child, I still utilize the skills to this day. And so there's so much involved in baking and toddlers young toddlers. And when I think of toddlers, I really think of, you know, 16 months through around age three, they can learn these skills. I know a lot of people look at them and they think, oh, there's just so little and, you know, we'll let them mix, but no, let them dump, let them pour. Talk about how, okay, when we have white sugar, it doesn't need to be packed down, but when we have brown sugar, we pack it in. If you start to give these lessons, at that age, it will just become ingrained in who they are as human beings. And I think that's the fun part about it for me. Yeah, I have to uh, agree. I love all of those. I agree, um, you know, with the math and the reading for sure. Um, and organization, those are all definitely skills that you learn by baking. But there's a lot of other skills. Um, one big one for me you know, which goes back to the last question. To me, becoming an adventurous eater in itself is a skill. Um, it's it's not necessarily innate. And so that's definitely a skill that's learned by being involved. Um, but there's also other 
skills that you wouldn't think about, like trying to figure out alternatives, you know, so, oh, we don't have walnuts. Well, maybe we can use pecans instead. Or uh, in our house, we try to avoid uh, processed and refined foods as much as possible, right? So um, instead of, you know, maybe uh, white sugar, we might use raw honey, or we might use dates or bananas or maple syrup, you know, and those are things then that they can pick up on is alternatives um, to just try something different, you know, things don't need to necessarily be exactly how the recipe is written. So it's, it's that trying, it's that experimentation. And lastly, you know, it can be the conversation of why we eat certain foods, right, which can then help them become advocates for um, eating real live whole foods. And don't get me wrong, my kids, they like their pizza when they go to a birthday party <laughs> or something like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it's, it's what can we add to this to level it up? Or uh, if we're maybe not baking, but cooking, you know, well, why are we using an orange and a green food? Well, it's because green has iron in it and orange has vitamin C in it and you need vitamin C to use your iron, right? So it's even leveling up those conversations of the science behind the specific foods that we're using. So it's it's helping increase increasing curiosity and, um, you know, learning what the different colors in food means and teaching them the skills of healthy eating. I love uh, the end of Achilles because it kind of intersects into um, segues into what I wanted to talk about. So the math skills, I think were covered really well. What I love is the science behind it. Cause that is my background. So what have you do, and this is obviously not per se, um, we're going to turn this into a food, um, but we have in the past is boiling red cabbage which you create, um, if you guys have done this before, it's called an indicator, right? A, like litmus paper. And it usually turns around reddish, purplish. And so uh, as a public school teacher, I used to do this with my students too. And you get a little guide, you could print it off online and it shows them the color that the indicator will change with the different pHs of different other foods or household items. So my kids, one that I print out for my students is with Crayola crayons. So we get a pack of Crayola crayons. We get this printout that has all the Crayola crayon um, colors. And then we start to talk about acids and bases and pHs. And a lot of it with the toddler will go over their heads, but just the introduction of that vocabulary is so important. They don't have to understand the word, but the playfulness then comes in when they get to try and add these different um, chemicals or, you know, food items, which, whatever you're working with, with this indicator, the cabbage juice indicator, and they start to turn different colors and you get to teach them how to read a scale. And even though they may not understand pH, just teaching them how to read a scale even is another skill that they get to pick up. 
So that's a specific activity that I love to do with my kids. And the fun thing for me is my youngest and oldest are 10 years apart. So it's something that they can do together. It's still fun and it still has them interacting. And um, it's not something, I don't know, my oldest feels like, uh, not that interest kind of past that stage, but she finds it still fun too. So it's an activity that we can all do together. So if you have a wide range of kids, this is a fun activity and the older ones will, you know, start to mix chemicals and trying to play with pHs. So that's what I really like about this activity that we have done in the past. That's great, Lonnie. And that's actually a great segue into the next question. So we've talked a lot about baking with toddlers, really young kids. Um, but we'd love to talk about, too, what benefits or what skills might be useful um, through baking with older kids. So, you know, older elementary, middle, even high school kids. Um, and we'll start with you, too, um, Lonnie. So this is where I find it so fun because I was never taught, actually, to bake or cook. <laughs> My mom will attest to this. <laughs> it's not something we're shy about in our family. So it's something I had to learn number one. And what is so neat about it is when you get kids involved in the kitchen at an early age, at least for me, that felt like an early age when my kids were not adults, they um, don't have the preconceived notions that I have and that creativity really flows. So I love that arena for them. Number two, they can do this by themselves and they may ask me questions. And I find that so fun that my role and their role is something that we get to work with. I know they can bake something from point A to point B and I can just sit there and just enjoy a conversation with them. Or they will say, hey, what do you think about this, mom? I am going to try this ingredient. What do you think? And then we get to dialogue about that. So it really captures them wherever they are in their understanding of baking. And it really hits all stages, right? So I can have multiple kids in the kitchen and their end product is going to look different because they tried different variations. So that's what I really love where it opens the door to creativity. And I think for teens, they struggle so much with an idea of what's right, what's popular, trying to fit in. And baking just gives them that arena to be creative, to do whatever they want and not feel judged. And that's also what I love about it. And then we talked about confidence earlier, but also that confidence that they get, that they get to share this with other people and that it gives them a way to connect with other people. My son is a little more introverted. And so it gives him a connection to people without feeling like he has to have this like awkward conversation with them, but Hey, would you like to try this? And then, Oh, that's great. And then a dialogue starts. So those are some of the skills that I think, especially at that age, that really um, helps that self-esteem and, and we get to encourage them through that process. Um, I love that. And um, yeah, I totally agree. One thing I think that's great about um, the older kids, especially is, you know, when they're younger, yeah, maybe you're making cookies and probably a bit more basic recipes. 
as they get older, you can start teaching them some more advanced, like maybe you're going to try a sourdough or um, maybe you're going to try a fermented food like a, a kimchi or some pickles or, you know, um, and so it, it's leveling up their baking skills in particular. Um, you can also go more into actually leveling up the food itself. So, you know, instead of uh, like from a nutritional standpoint, right, to try and make it as nutri nutrient dense as possible and why you're doing that and the importance of it. Um, obviously, as they get uh, into their later teens, you're probably looking more into, okay, well, what skills do they need to once they go out on their own, because they're not going to probably have all the tools <laughs> that you have in your house. Um, so then it's maybe teaching them what can they do with what they have with their basic tools, you know. And the other thing too is as they get older, you can help them shape their palate a little bit more, you know. So when they're younger, they're not Actually, I say when they're younger, they don't really eat spicy foods. But my kids, every time I use chili peppers, they're like, can we try one? <laughs> like, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but you're when they're really young, you're probably not making food all that spicy, say. But as they get older, you can help them, you know, develop that palate a little bit more. Um, so maybe you are cooking with a little bit spicier foods, um, you know, and same thing when they're younger they're probably mixing pouring but as they get older you can start teaching them how to chop foods properly so that you know how to hold their hands so they don't cut themselves how to take something out of an oven so they don't burn themselves right so it's more of those safety foods uh safety aspects as well as um you know you can teach them different styles of chopping, different styles of um, mixing and you know what I mean? So so that they're making a, a more refined product as they're older. I love all the things that have been shared. And I think with this elementary age and as we're growing older, the dialogues that you can start having with the children are so much more advanced that can tap into the critical thinking skills we've been talking about, the creativity and the collaboration that you have in this kitchen. I'll mention some questions that I think would be really helpful to pique curiosity if you are already baking or considering baking with children of this elementary and older age, thinking about where does our food or where does this recipe come from? What is the history of this recipe? And we've spoken about this at length. How do I alter this recipe based on the ingredients that I have at hand? And from the health benefit perspective, we've mentioned about substituting ingredients perhaps to add nutritious value, but even a fun challenge of you went somewhere and had a delicious baked good. Can we replicate and bake this? Can we, can we challenge ourselves to make this, you know, we had this peach pie. My family loves mangoes. Can we replicate and make it with mangoes? And yes, of course, can we make a healthier version too, perhaps, but even exploring that from a health perspective, the difference between a packaged baked good 
a cookie or a cake or a bread versus something created at home, exploring that. And even talking about from that same mindset of how can baking and how can doing this together be good for the environment? Perhaps we're avoiding packaging or we're using ingredients that are resourced uh, and sourced in a responsible way. Where are we getting those ingredients? So things to think about in a more critical thinking way when you're working with older children. I'm going to jump right on that train of thought. And when I think of elementary age students or kids, um, I, they're, like you said, the dialogue, or you can have these dialogues where, where did it come from? And you can start to see the chain of what happened and even taking it further into the entrepreneurial or business aspect of, are we having a lemonade stand, right? Can we sell? Can we, um, I know at our school, at our Montessori school, we had a garden. And so we used all of the materials out of the garden for the food work in the classroom and then we set up a sort of a farmer's market where the parents could come and purchase, whether it was like salsas that were made from the garden or purchase any of the things that the kids made. And um, that's really, really important. Just, uh, just this whole chain. So not only are we giving them all the amazing confidence boosting and and educational benefits, but we're showing them this chain of like what you can do with this skill. It doesn't stop, you know, at our table. It doesn't stop at our table. It continues to um, to build, and you can really take this and make it into something. Most baked goods are better with coffee, so grab yourself a cup of joe and settle in for some baking news. So we have some, not some, we have a short little list of news items, but the one that's most exciting for me is that Great British Bake Off is back. Hoorah! That is exciting. And as we speak, they're up to week two. I think tonight, um, week two comes out in America, and they have a new presenter, Nolan Allison this year instead of Matt and oh, I kind of miss Matt well but I haven't seen this new season so what do you think of the new host um I liked her and apparently like I've never heard of her but apparently she's like a tv presenter so like British people are familiar with her oh cool um but I think she did a good job and there was the classic the a fair amount of the classic suggestive humor in episode one so it was mm-hmm. good <laughs> it's uh it's doing well, staying on theme, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, so I have a problem. What's your problem? Because you watch this on Netflix, right? Yes. So now we were on the family Netflix, but <gasps> it's now that thing where you can't access if you're not in the same Wi-Fi, like if you're not using the same Wi-Fi. I have the same problem. So <laughs> you do? So what are you doing? Because yeah. I don't. Well, I'm like so grumpy about paying for all of these streaming services I find it ridiculous so that's we had a compromise like we pay for Disney and Hulu and we share our passwords for that my in-laws were playing we're paying for Netflix and I forget my brother pays for the Apple one and my brother-in-law pays for HBO so we everybody has their little thing but I don't want to pay for Netflix no I don't either um, I don't know because it just turned off for us like midweek this week. So I was able to watch the first oh. episode and then now it stopped working. And now we lost, we've lost access to Hulu too, which we share with somebody else. Oh no, I do not like this. 
No, I think they should do it like like we pay for DirecTV and they give you like so many people can be watching at the same time. It's like a limit of three or something. That I think is fair. Right? Yeah. That I think is fair. I don't think this is fair because how are we going to watch this? <laughs> how are we going to keep up? Um, I don't know. That's a problem for another day. But okay, at least you got to see the first episode. Did you have any favorites already? Like favorite contestants? Um... Oh, you know what? I thought I did when I was watching it, but now because I can't remember, probably not. Although I thought <laughs> this episode did a better job. Like, I feel like some seasons it's like week four or five before I like start realizing who people are. Yeah. Um, I feel like episode one, you got to see a fair amount of everybody. So like you were able to recognize like individual bakers. That's good. Yeah. But no, I don't think I have a favorite yet. That's good. Just stay a little like neutral for a while. So somebody <laughs> wows you. What did they make for the first episode? It was cake week. So the signature challenge was to make the cake from the intro. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. That was, yeah, no, that was, must have been the technical. The sig- yeah, that was the technical. The signature was um, a v- vertical layer cake. Ooh. So the layers run up and down instead of side That's to side. That's cool. We should make that. Yeah. Um, I tried (laughs) a long time ago. um, I had a cookbook that had one in it and I had the hardest time getting it to stay together. It's basically like a jelly roll cake stood up on itself, but then you add like more and more layers. It's like a giant jelly roll to make it cake size. Ooh. So I had trouble getting the layers to stick to each other. (laughs) Um, But most of them did pretty good. Like the judges commented on like how it was pretty even. That's cool. Yeah. That's really cool. And in a similar vein, um, the Great American Baking Show celebrity holiday version is <laughs> ready to come back this winter. That's a very lengthy title, isn't it? Right? It's a super <laughs> long title. But Paul and Prue are in that as well. I didn't watch the one last year, but I heard a lot of good things about it. I don't. I didn't watch the celebrity one, but I did watch the regular one, and I liked it. Okay. I'm behind. I'm realizing I have a lot to catch up on. Baking wise, <laughs> we gotta figure out how to hack I gotta Netflix. <laughs> pivot from my murder mystery stuff and do something more healthy for me. <laughs> the wholesome baking shows. Do we know who's gonna be on it yet? Um, I've seen some photos, but I don't know if I recognize anybody, so I'm not the best person to ask that question. <laughs> I'm gonna Google it to see if I recognize. Yeah, Great American Baking Show. I didn't even recognize one of the hosts. I think one of the hosts changed this year. Oh, Casey Wilson and Zach Cherry. Mm-hmm. And last year it was, um, I forget her actual name. It was the girl who played Aaron in The Office last year. Oh, um, oh my gosh. What is her name? She was also on that show. What is it? Kimmy something. Yes. Oh, Ellie Kemper. El- yes, that's it. Um, but yeah, I'm looking at this article. It says the bakers have yet to be announced. So I think all the photos I saw were uh, just of the new host. Okay. Um, well, I do know Zach Cherry. He was on, did you ever watch Severance? It's on Apple. No, but he hosted last year and I liked him. Yeah. I'm excited then. Cause I saw him on that show and I really liked him. So I'm intrigued and I love Prue. So I don't know yes. Casey Wilson actually, but we'll see. I gotta get, I gotta find myself a Netflix login so that I can watch this. 
Um, and the last item on our baking news bulletin, are you familiar with these? Have you heard of the Supreme Croissants? No, I have not heard of so, this. I feel behind because when I looked it up, all the articles like announcing it were like 10 months ago. But I think it takes a while for things to catch on. So maybe I'm not behind. Maybe it's just becoming trendy. These are like giant circular shaped croissants started by Lafayette Grand Bakery and Cafe in New York. They are flavored cream filled croissants, tightly coiled and drizzled with glaze and toppings. And they take three days from start to finish to make them. I thought you were going to say to eat them. <laughs> to eat them. Yeah, they're so big. It takes three days. <laughs> I just Googled it. Um, They look cool. They do look cool. I think you should make them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I feel like the croissants. Man, I mean, man, do I feel good when they turn out. But, ooh, the process. Um, yes. These are intriguing to me, though. I'm wondering how they keep them in that shape while they're baking because it's hard to restrain like a puff pastry you know oh yeah how do they not I mean I guess you have to keep I don't know how you keep them tight but start out tight but I don't know how you keep them tight I don't know if they use a toothpick or what all right this is cool TikTok Tina didn't tell us about this so that's why we had to let her know right (laughs) but this is like the newest version of the cruffin I guess Oh, yeah. Cruffin. Do you remember when those unicorn bagels were popular? Yes. Called unicorn or rainbow bagels? I forget. Interesting. Well, we've had like mixed feelings about these TikTok or these like trendy baking challenges. Like remember the cloud bread? We were not fans of that. Oh, yeah. That was kind of weird. But I did like the Basque cheesecake, which I also found trending and that was really good. So, yes. That's we'll on my to-make list eventually. My to-make list is getting as long as my to-read list. <laughs> Your to-make list is, especially like in the holiday season, it's like an encyclopedia. Then we are exploring bakes that were awarded handshakes on the Great British Bake Off. Today's handshake-worthy bake comes from a semifinal where Frances won a handshake for her vegetable garden canapes. So you considered a bunch of different options before settling on what you made, right? Well, yeah, because I was way more ambitious. And then the day of, <laughs> I wanted to take a nap. So I changed my mind and made something quicker. <laughs> But yeah, like I thought, like I just thought it was so cute. Like Frances made all of her garden vegetable themed things. So I was like, I want to be creative and make a variety of stuff. And then I thought about making Danish dough kind of like, I guess you feel about croissant dough. And I was like, it's going to take all day. <laughs> I was like, I want to do I just looked up a picture of her canapes and they look so cute. They're adorable. Um, okay. So um, what did you eventually settle on? I made, I don't know how to say it. I think it's gougere. I think I that made sausage good. and cheese gougere, which is basically, I think gougere means like cheese puff or cheese shoe, too. Oh, okay. Um, so I made sausage and cheese shoe, basically. And I'd made them before, but without the sausage a long time ago, and they turned out really well. And then this time, I made it while we were doing other things in the kitchen, and 
needed the microwave timer for multiple things and I forgot that I had a timer going. So I reset the timer for something else while my shoe was in the oven and I was supposed to like lower the temperature after 15 minutes. And like all of a sudden I realized, <laughs> I don't know how long these things have been in there. Um, oh, no. So I lowered the temperature because I didn't look quite done. But I ended up burning them on the outside and they were raw on the inside. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. It's always stressful when there's literally too many cooks in the kitchen and people have different things going on, cooking yes. and baking wise. <laughs> That's a bummer. Um, so none of it was salvageable. No, like we each tried one. Um, and I actually tried two because the first one I got was mostly done. And I was like, let me try another one. Because I think the first one I had was kind of small. And Alice had had one and didn't comment. Mike ate one and he was like, eh. <laughs> and I ate the second one. I was like, oh, it's raw in the middle. And Mike's like, yeah, mine was too. And I was like, you could have said that. <laughs> oh, dang. Well, they sound like they would have been good. Right? I think so. The sausage was great. We had some leftover sausage. And Alice ended up eating it for dinner because she liked it so much. So. That sounds yummy. <laughs> um. Well, I, like you, also made shoe. Shoe, shoe, shoe. Shoe, shoe. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly because I was, like, so lazy. And I couldn't think of what I wanted my bread cracker base to be. And then you mentioned shoe. Mm. And I was like, you know what? I could make shoe. I think the selling point, though, was because I, I found um, a recipe on Sally's Baking recipes that – seemed really easy and mm. I liked that I just wanted something simple and so I followed her recipe and it was really good I feel like I've only made shoe one other time and I don't remember being that enthused about it the last time but this time it was I think it helped that her directions were very clear um mm. so that someone like me that's not as familiar with how to make it could follow it pretty easily and it it like was perfect they look so cute when they came out I forget I don't know how to say is it profiter profiterol we need to take a friend yeah I think so yeah profiterol profiterol I Um, don't know if that's English or French but (laughs) I've heard people say like that (laughs) pronounce it the French accent um they were beautiful they're so cute and then for the for the savory topping, I just kind of brainstormed. I was going back and forth because I think I told you initially wanted to do like a like a tomato with olive oil and salt. Mm, and you like yes. kind of puree the tomato a little bit to make it like a spread. And then do like manchego cheese and jamón serrano on top. Oh, um, that sounds great. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things that we get from this place, um, this restaurant nearby called gasolina which they do like spanish food but then i started just thinking about other things that i like to eat which is everything apparently i was like maybe i could do instead of manchego i wanted to do burrata which i don't use a lot oh yeah i really enjoy the taste of it unfortunately when i ordered my groceries they were out of it so they substituted mozzarella but i was like that's fine Mm. so i ended up doing like arugula as the base with um mozzarella and prosciutto and then I sprinkled like um 
spicy honey on top of it. Ooh. And so did you like cut the shoe in half and like make little bites or did you bake I this did. in the batter? Okay. Yeah, I I cut them and then I just didn't use the top part. I just ate all of those <laughs> as I cut them. And <laughs> so I only used like the bottom base of it. And they were yummy. Although I'd be curious to bake some. Like how yummy would it be to bake some of like the meat into the dough? I don't even know if that would work. But... So that's how mine was. Yeah, the cheese was in my dough. The cheese mm. and the sausage. Like crumb because it was crumbles. Oh, that sounds good. Yeah. So you could get a little and more creative with it. Yeah. Last time I made them before this, the cheese was in the dough and it was it was really good. And I've okay. also seen people like pipe like whipped feta or whipped goat cheese into the middle. Ooh. Like if, as if it was like a donut or something. Wait, before baking? No, like bake it and then fill it like it's a donut with the cheese. I see. I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool. Yeah. These are fun. I think we should make these again. Yeah. I like they're, them. They're And they're good for parties. They are. Maybe I could find a spooky version if we end up doing Ooh, a You can make shoe ghosts. <laughs> I have left What do French ghosts say? Shoo! Instead of do. <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> I just Googled them, though, and I found them. <laughs> what did you find? Um, boozy ghost cream puff. So these are sweet ones. They're filled with, Ooh. like, Kahlua and chocolate. And then the outside is white chocolate on top to make it look like a ghost. That's cool. <gasps> Okay, that's a top contender now. Yeah, because I think it would look it really cute. Taller, yeah. Okay. And then I saw this one's like a pumpkin. I don't, I can't tell what it's filled with, but they just painted a little pumpkin face on there. Cute. Might be your lucky day, Raul. <laughs> you can have a party after all. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this batch of Procrastinating. We hope we've provided some food for thought for your next Procrastinating project. As always, the links and photos discussed in this episode can be found in our show notes. Procrastinate with us on Facebook and Instagram while you wait for our next episode to rise. We will release new episodes first and third Fridays on your favorite platform. Tune in to the next batch of Procrastinating for a new GBBO challenge and another book club entry. Until next time... Stay sweet. This has been Procrastinating. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave a good review. You can also subscribe to us on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. You can also subscribe to our RSS feed directly from our website at ProcrastinatingPodcast.com. Also, feel free to follow us and give us your feedback on social media, on Instagram at, at ProcrastinatingPodcast, and Facebook at Facebook.com slash ProcrastinatingPodcast. Procrastinating is hosted and created by Rachel Rhodes and Luisa Gonzalez, produced and edited by Raul Ceballos, theme music by Alex Walker-Smith, and show artwork by Rob Demers. Demers.